0: today on the daily scoop podcast from the scoop news group celebrating a customer experience milestone all across government and a landmark for cyber assessments in the defense industrial base it's wednesday august 3rd 2022 welcome to the daily scoop podcast every afternoon you'll learn what's going on today in government i'm the host of the daily scoop podcast francis rose Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration's using its own vehicles to modernize its back office acquisition platforms. GSA Chief Information Officer David Shive says his agency got good results using its Comet vehicle for upgrades to federal acquisition service systems. Shive says the agency's working on public building service and corporate systems next. The Defense Department will spend almost $2 million to support testing for 6G wireless communications technology. The Pentagon calls the program Open 6G. The Costas Research Institute at Northeastern University will run the program. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Nominations are open now for the 2022 edition of the Fed Scoop 50. We're looking for nominations for leaders in the federal IT community for their achievements and contributions. You can read more about how to nominate someone through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Nine agency customer experience actions are part of the first six-month update to President Biden's customer experience executive order. The federal customer experience team is making progress on the five life experiences, too. Jill Layden is government industry advisor at Qualtrics. She's former customer experience administrator at the Patent and Trademark Office. Jill, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The broader theme here, it seems to me, is this is obviously a huge priority to the administration, updating the six-month CX EO anniversary and also just really emphasizing what the organizations are doing across government to contribute to progress in the president's management agenda. What's the message that you take away from the impact, from the import that the administration's placing on their CX efforts? Welcome, Jill.
1: Thank you, thanks for having me today. I think the key takeaway here from these recent updates is that OMB um, and the president's management council is really committed to showing measurable results. And we've seen that um, in the very activities that we're making. Um, they've been very transparent in posting uh, the success metrics, as an example, um, trust in government. That is a measurable outcome, and we are seeing a success metric and goal there, and um, that's really exciting to see.
0: Before we started recording, you mentioned that these discovery sprints uh, struck you as something that was pretty significant. The uh, website says all five life experience projects are now midway through the initial discovery phase. It sounds like they're really trying to dig into these life experiences and understand where all the pieces are across the government that they need to connect, where all the dots are that they need to connect. Do you think I'm, am I reading that right?
1: I was really excited to see uh, the Life Experience Discover Sprints are well underway. Um, It shows that they are truly researching their customers and understanding those challenges from a 360-degree view and really getting started on the right foot. Um, I love the concept of after these sprints, I'd love to see always-on listening to customers where it counts, right? And so having these discovery sprints are really formulating the problem that agencies are coming together to solve with customers at the center. And I know that persistent listening after these sprints across that customer journey, consistently across the agencies that contribute to that experience is really going to make the difference for what long-term customer impacts uh, we are going to experience.
0: I don't know if the term persistent listening is a technical term or if it's just something that came to you off the top of your head, but I love that as the maybe the most important thing that an agency needs to do or stakeholder in these life experience projects since so many of them are cross-agencies, Jill.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's important to understand that we have um, – you know, just overall, usually about 85% of the data customers provide to an agency um, or across agency journeys is going to be unstructured data. And so we don't want to leave that on the table. And what I hope to see is that agencies are going to take advantage of the technology that's available to be able to understand those valuable insights. Um, And really, it, it sets agencies up to feel like they have had a town hall or really a discovery sprint with their customers every day. And so they're really starting with that deep dive into what customers are experiencing, gaining valuable insights through these discovery sprints. And I think we have the potential here and the capability across the board to be able to continue that work. Um, and so when I say persistent listening, you know, it's setting up these agencies to be able to glean those insights and share them across agencies to really understand how is their work impacting those customers. As they are building momentum and making those improvements, being able to see uh, the ebb and flow of progress is gonna be critical to long-term progress.
0: What is the significance of so much of that data being unstructured? What's the implication of that for organizations that are trying to understand what they have and then do something with that data?
1: Sure, so just, you know, uh, From my experience in the federal government, um, I remember days and weeks, uh, my colleagues and I reading through thousands of customer survey responses and listening to customer calls because that was the only way we were able to glean insights. And of course that introduces human error. Um, So the ability to leverage that unstructured data that comes in the door in a way that is not manual and um, less subject to human bias is huge. It gives a whole new level of understanding of who customers are, what their pain points are. Um, We can detect what efforts and emotions they're experiencing as they interact with organizations. And that human dimension, that human insight is what is really needed to drive true transformation.
0: You mentioned the high high impact service providers earlier in our conversation, Jill. What can organizations take away from what the HISPs are doing to apply to what they're doing? Maybe they're not high impact service providers, but they're providing a service that they're trying to improve.
1: What I see when I look at this momentum and this progress is a formula for success that can be applied to any large, complex organization. That can be another federal agency. That can be a state-level effort to improve citizen and resident services. Um, so I see it break down in the key takeaways, really, from from this uh, framework. I see setting a vision. Um, right now, the The success metric for the president's management agenda. I think it's, um, goal, goal strategy two is, uh, to be on par with the best consumer experiences. So I think an agency can think to themselves, what is our vision for our customer experience? And, um, you know, how we want customers to see us. I think then, um, you know, setting a goal, take on key customer pain points to increase overall satisfaction. So really focusing on specific customer journeys. We're seeing the federal government focus on specific high-impact service providers because of the high volume of customers they serve and the critical nature of their service. Any organization can look at, you know, what their mission is and who their customers are and identify those areas for focused improvement. Um, We've also seen standard measurement, which has been very helpful in understanding across journeys where those key pain points are, but also over time how things evolve. Um, I think the clear measurements of success uh, really state you cannot improve what you cannot measure. And so seeing the high-impact service providers have a standard set of questions asked across these 35 service areas and then reported publicly um, along with agency action plans for how things are going to evolve and change to improve customer experience, is something I think any customer experience professional should put in their playbook.
0: The six month update at performance.gov says, each agency's conducted its 2022 capacity assessment and is currently using what they've learned from service reviews, customer feedback, and capacity assessment to develop action plans for fiscal 2023 and fiscal 24 it sounds like what you just laid out there is the vision that you hope or expect to see in those action plans for the coming fiscal years. Jill, is there something else that maybe agencies should be thinking about, including or working toward, including in those action plans?
1: Yes. And I think it's thinking about the future and putting in some baby steps, any agency can take right now to prepare for that future. So uh, in my mind, the future of customer experience, uh, not just, goes across federal agency borders, but it goes up and down the levels of government. So, from federal to state and to local, because that's how humans experience government services. It's not always just from federal agencies. Many services the government provides are executed at the state and local level. And that has an equivalent or even outsized impact to, um, you know, to customers. So. Um, If you take any of the examples of the life experiences that have focused improvement, you can think about where the state and local factors that are going to influence that federal service and likewise, what federal policies, systems and programs are going to impact the state and local level. So when we think about being truly customer centric, we have to think beyond just the federal government and we have to set ourselves up to be able to move into that future as customer experience matures. Um, I think an easy way to make progress when you have such a large complex challenge ahead of you is to focus on relationships and sharing information. So what I'd love to see is thinking about what are the key pieces of information that can be shared from federal, state, and local about certain customer challenges um, that can lead us to think in a new way of feeding information to those you know, dedicated civil servants at any level of government to empower them to make those types of decisions that are really truly driven by human insight and human experiences, regardless what level of government they're through which they're experiencing them.
0: And for the federal government stakeholders in those equations, Jill, it strikes me the cohort of customers expands because you start to think about those state and local stakeholders as customers also, the way that you interact with them and the, and the way that you serve them.
1: Absolutely. I think um, it's very easy to have a myopic view of who you are, you know, who you're serving and, and what what impact you're having. But you have to think about what are all of those ripple effects um, from all of the decisions you are making when you are you're know, working in a federal agency. So I think by um, providing information and having relationships and starting to have common themes, common understanding and common measurement across all levels of government Your scope of what you are able to see of the impact of your work expands tremendously. Um, And in turn, I think it provides um, a a level of empowerment we haven't really experienced yet that I think we can when it comes to improving that customer experience.
0: Jill Layden, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the program today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You can read more about the new CX updates in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, and Newberger, and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's happening September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup of stars and register through the link in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The board overseeing the accreditation body for vendors that sell to the Defense Department will let companies self-assess their cyber postures while that board waits for official guidance from DOD. Matthew Travis is the chief executive officer of the Cyber Accreditation Board. He tells Defense Scoop's Mark Pomerleau why the time is right for self-assessments. I think
2: this is the the muscle movement that the whole ecosystem has been waiting for, uh, especially for those who got into CMMC almost two years ago. It Really, assessments are what drive all activity within the ecosystem. So when C-3PO's are actually assessing companies within the DIB, that requires them to hire more assessors and therefore uh, incentivizes more people to become assessors and take the assessor courses from our licensed training
3: providers. So it really is that mode of force that brings the ecosystem to life. And when the department announced CMC 2.0, we were... Very pleased that they acknowledge the investment that not only uh, did companies already made in the CMMC, but also the members of the ecosystem. And so they committed to voluntary assessments. Obviously, with rulemaking, it, it took some legal uh, discussions to get to where we are now. But the first assessments will be starting uh, late August, and we couldn't be happier. Sure. I mean, what made you uh, go ahead and feel comfortable enough to allow companies to get these assessments before the final rule is in place? Yeah, well, what made us comfortable was talking to the department. And the way it's working, because, as you allude, until
2: rulemaking is finished, CMC is not an official program. And I should start by saying for all your listeners, I'm not representing the department. The cyber is an independent organization, so nothing I say should be construed as duty policy. Having said that, it's my understanding that the department was looking for legal authorities to ground uh, these voluntary assessments in, and since the DidCac, the Defense Industrial-Based Cyber Security Assessment Center, has existing authorities to conduct NIST 800-171 assessments, uh, that provide a very convenient vehicle upon which to conduct these as voluntary assessments since CMC 2.0 aligns directly now to NIST 800-171. And so it's, it's really that we call it the Joint Surveillance Voluntary Assessment Program because both the DIVCAC and the C-3PAO that the DIV company hires are jointly conducting the assessment. It's under DIVCAC authorities. They have the final say. Uh, and it's not necessarily unlike when uh, the, the Defense Audit Agency uh, uses contract auditors at times, or I think even D C S A might use private sector background investigators. This is the DIDCAC partnering with C3PAOs uh, to get those early movers within the Dib who've already implemented it after 171 want to get assessed uh, a way to do that. So we're, we're pretty excited about the, the way forward.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you know you're you're not technically affiliated with the DoD. Yet. Can you maybe walk us through uh, your uh, part, uh, partnership and, and, and the roles that you have with, with all the other organizations here? That the CMMC ecosystem is is quite extensive. So you know maybe you could help us better understand where you sit within that ecosystem and how you work with all the, the partners involved.
2: Yes, you're correct. It is an extensive ecosystem, and I'll I'll begin by just explaining how kind of where we are positioned. You know, we're, all, we're the exclusive implementation partner, I guess you'd say, of, of DoD for CMMC. It's a privileged position that we're uh, very, uh, forced to be in. But you know, what we do is we really uh, we credit those C3POs and authorize them to conduct assessments. But we also, on the training side right now, are working on the, the, the certification of the individual assessors who will work for those C3POs who assess the did companies and. Uh, but to support that, we've got licensed training providers who are the ones training those assessors, licensed publishing partners who are developing the CMMC curricula that are used in CMMC courses. And then, of course, frankly, one of the most important parts of the ecosystem are all the registered practitioners, the individuals and organizations who are working to
3: support those did companies in implementing CMMC and getting prepared uh, for the assessment. So there's... You know, there's that implementation side of the ecosystem of companies and individuals helping defense contractors get it ready. And then separately, and there's that complex measures firewall that we, that we play a role in maintaining. There are the C-3PO's uh, who are then charged with assessing or certification those uh, defense companies. And so it's a, it's a broad ecosystem, and you know, in addition to uh, helping DOD get the program off the ground, uh, we, we have a position of trying to provide as much guidance as possible to those C3 PAOs in terms of the procedures that they should use uh, to conduct the assessments as, as well as the standards to which they'll be held accountable. Sure, and and as as FedScoop reported, uh, the Cyber AB issued this draft document detailing the assessment process for these third-party organizations. Can you uh, maybe help us better understand what that assessment process is, and and, and what's detailed in in this draft? Yes, when you think about a CMMC assessment, the the technical authoritative guides come out of DoD, so that's the CMMC assessment guide, the CMMC scoping guide. Uh, We have one, what I call one official uh, document in the doctrinal canon, if you will, of CMC, and that's the CMC assessment process or the CAP. That is really the procedural playbook on how an assessment is conducted.
2: We have uh, a need to make sure that whether you're being assessed on the East Coast, the West Coast, North or South in the country, that, that assessments are being conducted with consistency, repeatability, and that there's not a lot of variance in terms of how CMC assessments are conducted. So the CAP is that procedural guide that gives the assessors, as well as the different companies, an understanding of the different phases of an assessment, uh, what steps should be sequenced. And it also provides guidance for assessors when they encounter certain situations in the the company's environment, how to proceed from there. And it's a document that we have been working with uh, the Department of Defense on, but I felt that we were at a point in time where we had enough there that we could release the draft and start soliciting uh, comments from throughout the ecosystem. Because, as you referenced earlier, until rulemaking is finished, uh, at least the cap is is not an official document. I, I won't speak for DOD
3: documents, but uh, the cap won't be official until rulemaking is finished. That doesn't mean it can't be used as a guide, uh, and it will be once voluntary assessments start. Uh, uh, but we are looking forward to the feedback, and I know there's a lot of big questions about uh, how – cloud and MSP is treated, about how poems are adjudicated. So the language that we put in there uh, represented our best understanding of where the department is in those issues. But I frankly think that uh, that that language, especially in those two sessions, will continue to be refined and might evolve a bit over the course of the next few months. Mm -hmm. what, What do you hope comes from that comment process in the next 30 days that you alluded to? You know, I don't claim to have a monopoly on good ideas when it comes to how a, a CMMC assessment uh, should be sequenced or proceed. And so if there are things that we might have missed, you know, considerations that C-3PO's might have or even uh, members of the Defense Industrial Base that want to see that in writing uh, to clarify roles and responsibilities, uh, we're happy to take that on board and, and to work to improve the document. This is a document that want, we want to be a resource, the ecosystem. Uh, It's not us dictating, uh, you know, ironclad at this point of what must be done. But once the document is final, then it becomes an authoritative document uh, post rulemaking So we want to get it right. Uh, And I recognize for for some folks looking at it now, they're thinking, well, there's some things that still aren't, you know, satisfying in terms of how the the wording is. And uh, I encourage them to send us, uh, you know, suggestions, uh, proposed revisions. And as more comes out of DOD, as we're making continues, we'll, we'll incorporate that uh, new language or revised language as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say from the initial instantiation of CMMC to the to the shift to, to this this new uh, CMMC 2.0, there there's been a fair amount of confusion um, among the the DIB and, and some outside um, uh, viewers. You know what what. Uh, advice, I guess, would you have, maybe especially for these small companies that are that are trying to get in here? I mean, is there anything that, that you can say um, to some of these companies in terms of what, what they need to do or how they can ready themselves? Um, you know, is there, is there any advice that, that you can offer? I, I do have, so I always start with reminding uh, the companies that you, know, you may already have the NIST 800 requirements in your existing contract, and so I would encourage encourage them to make sure they've implemented those Uh, 110 practices that that may already be required. Uh, The other thing I say is that this has always been uh, the long game, both for the department and for us. And I remind folks that CMMC right now uh, is still being developed. It's not mandatory. Uh, For those companies who have implemented and are ready to be assessed, I think there's a a built-in incentive that your certificate validity period will be longer. Uh, So if you get assessed here in the next uh, few months, uh, the clock doesn't start on your three-year cert until after rulemaking is finished, so you could actually be adding you know, another year or so uh, to your certification. But go ahead and engage in CMMC. That's the biggest advice I'd say, Mark, is we've got registered practitioners throughout the ecosystem who are there uh, to help them, to help them understand how to implement, uh, how to get through an assessment. So there's help out there. We're, we're happy to direct folks uh, to that help. It's in our marketplace, on our website. The thing I would caution against is just waiting for this uh, to go away or to change. And I think the department's been very clear. I know Congress's intent is very clear that we've got to secure the defense supply chain. That you know the threat landscape uh, is not waiting for rulemaking to be completed. So our, our networks are under attack every day. Uh, certainly those the DIBAR as well. So it's uh, it's in their own business interest. Uh, put put the DoD contract aside for a moment. It's in their own business interest. To go ahead and make sure that these very reasonable cybersecurity measures in this 171, it's really the blocking and tackling uh, that those are implemented, and that, that that will give confidence in their own network, even outside of their responsibilities for the department. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Um, well, is, is there anything else, maybe, that you'd you'd like to offer that that I didn't I didn't touch on, or anything that you'd like to highlight uh, here?
2: Just, just a couple of things that on the assessor side, you know, we are very much uh, looking forward to launching a, a bit of a recruiting campaign to encourage Americans uh, to think about becoming CMC assessors that would involve taking the formal classes and taking the high-stakes uh, professional examinations to get that professional certification. Not only is it important to the department of the nation that we have folks who are able to conduct these assessments. It's a, it's, I think it's a really good career move, especially if you're not in cybersecurity. You know, you certainly are going to need to develop some, some technical background to conduct assessments, but you don't need to know how to, uh, you know, code computers. And it's a great gateway into the cybersecurity community to become an assessor. We've got a lot of good C3PAOs who will apply over 400 to be those third-party assessment organizations. They're going to need uh, people whom to hire. And I know the labor market's been tight the past couple of years, but if you look at other conformance regimes like CMMI, those appraisers over there, the compensation can be pretty compelling. And if you're doing this uh, either full-time or as a side gig, uh, side hustle, you you can kind of you know make your own hours and, and, and work at your own uh, schedule. So I think it's a flexible profession to be in. It's going to be a growing profession. The demand signal is going to be there. So you're going to be hearing from us to uh, encourage Americans to think about engaging in CMMC as an assessor and then there's the other point is that we're looking to have our first uh, convening of the ecosystem at a conference in november uh, november 9th here in the national capital region Texas corner we'll be saying more about that at the next town hall but uh, we're looking forward now that hopefully COVID is is leaning crossing fingers of course that uh, we'll be looking forward to, to hosting the ecosystem to discuss at that point which will be you know, some lessons learned from voluntary assessments the exams will be up and running so i think even though there's still been a lot of hurry up and wait and see the second half of 2022 is going to be pretty active and i really feel like we've got some wind behind our sales
0: you can read more about the self-assessments in today's show notes the scoop the daily scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms if you don't want to miss a show you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever else you get your shows and on any device you get your shows and if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.